and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farm and Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard has a Star Talk report on the draconian meteor shower. Then, I share my visit to historic Springbrook Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. We'll hear from owners Shannon and Jacob Borelli, who describe their busy lives on the farm. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country, but first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. Russian officials say rail traffic across a key bridge connecting mainland Russia with the annexed territory of Crimea could resume later today. Traffic was halted after the structure was damaged in what Russian authorities say was a truck explosion. Three people died. NPR's Charles Maines reports. The explosion occurred on the 12-mile-long Kerch Strait Bridge, the sole supply line for Russian forces operating in South Ukraine. Surveillance video shared by Russian authorities showed a truck exploding into a massive fireball while traveling across the structure Saturday morning. Two sections of road collapsed and a portion of railway line was badly damaged after tankers carrying fuel also caught fire. In addition to its strategic value, the Kerch Bridge is for the Kremlin, a key symbol of Moscow's control over Crimea the territory Russia annexed from Ukraine in 2014. Ukraine has previously suggested the bridge was a legitimate military target, but stopped short of claiming responsibility for the blast. Russian President Vladimir Putin has ordered an investigation. Charles Maines, NPR News, Moscow. China is lashing out at a U.S. ban on selling at certain types of advanced semiconductors and technology. As NPR's John Ruwich reports, Beijing calls the new rules an attempt to maintain America's technological hegemony. The U.S. Commerce Department's sweeping export controls aim to limit China's ability to buy or make advanced microchips or develop and maintain supercomputers. The department says this will help protect U.S. national security and foreign policy interests because such chips and computers can be used in military applications by China. In response, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Mao Ning told reporters the export controls are an abuse of trade measures. She says they'll backfire and the United States will only hurt and isolate itself. China-U.S. relations are at their worst in decades, and control of technology is a major source of friction. John Ruich, NPR News, Beijing. The Uvalde, Texas school district yesterday suspended its entire police force. An investigation is underway into how the police handled a mass shooting in May that killed 19 students and two teachers. It took officers more than an hour to confront the shooter. Chuck Wexler is executive director of the Police Executive Research Forum. It's a police research and policy organization. He says the community made it clear there had to be a change. I think what the people of Uvalde want is they want someone who can lead that department. They want someone who can, when there's a crisis, knows what to do, has a track record. I mean, you can change a culture with a leader. And especially if you're rebuilding the department, that leader has an opportunity to identify people who, you know, share those kind of professional values. 
Relatives of those who died say they'll continue their efforts to persuade the state legislature to enact tougher gun control laws. This is NPR News from Washington. This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farm and Country. Coming up on today's show, I share my conversation with Shannon and Jacob Borelli from Springbrook Farm, recorded earlier this year in Damascus, Pennsylvania. They share their story on family life, current challenges, and what inspires them to farm with respect to animals and the environment. But first, here is Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farming Country. Country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. The Draconin meteor shower will be the first of two meteor showers in October. The meteor shower will reach its peak tonight and tomorrow night. The Draconids radiate from Draco the Dragon. The source of the Draconids is a comet known by the unassuming name of 21P Giocabini Zener. The comet last flew by Earth in 2018 on its 6.6-year journey that takes it beyond the orbit of Jupiter. In 1985, the comet became the first comet to be visited by a spacecraft when the International Cometary Explorer passed through its plasma tail. While most meteor showers are best viewed after midnight, the Draconids will be best viewed right after sunset. Unfortunately for us, the full moon will be on Sunday. This means the moon will be shining brightly all night. Most of the meteors will be lost in the glare of the moon on the peak nights. Since the moon will be low on the horizon just after sunset when the draconids are best viewed, you can block the moonlight by positioning yourself so the moon is blocked by trees or a building. The meteor shower rarely offers more than five meteors an hour, but it has produced stunning outbursts in the past. In 2011, the Draconids treated European stargazers with 600 meteors per hour. Head out after sunset for an hour or two this weekend and look to the north to try to catch the Draconid meteor shower in the glow of the full moon. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. For WJFF Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. In Damascus, Pennsylvania, in Abramsville, the name of the farmer is Jacob and Shannon Borelli. Hi, Jacob. Tell me a little bit about your background and the name of your farm here. So this farm is Springbrook Farm. It was established in 1860 as the land in the farmhouse. We've been on the farm since 92. Previous to that was my grandfather's farm. Uh, We currently raise beef cattle and pigs. 
and produce about 800 round bales, both first, second cutting baleage and first dry hay. Mm-hmm. The year that this farm started, it sounds very historic. It is a year that I know Calicum was being settled with the river. So you're very connected to that. We are. We, uh, being near the river, this farm, you know, back in the day, the stagecoach used to run just over the hill. So there's a lot of history that runs through these hills. Okay, so you mentioned the animals that you raise, and right now, oh, is that a donkey too? Tell me about your animals. We have have, uh, two donkeys, 20 pigs, and right around 90 head of cattle that are a breed of red and white-faced Herefords. Mm -hmm. Before we get started on what inspired you, Shannon, introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about your background. Sure, so uh, I'm Shannon Borelli. I'm Jacob's wife. Uh, We've been married seven years this year. So I've been coming down for probably eight and a half or so prior to us moving down here full time last year. And uh, my background is more environmental science, outdoorsy. I grew up hunting and all the outdoor things. And now we have three kids and do the farm thing full time as well as work full time. So, Well, with your background, do you find that as an inspiration as to why you do what you do here? What are your farm chores? Uh, we do a lot of feeding the animals, cleaning up the animals, moving the manure. Those are kind of our more day-to-day farm chores. And then this time of year, it's haying season. So we're, we were out in the hay field this morning, and we'll be haying today and tomorrow and until it rains, pretty much. Mm-hmm. What do you feel is your inspiration that you chose this lifestyle? I think it's kind of nice being connected to the ground and to the earth and to your food. Our cows are and our pork, they're produced for meat, so... You know, we're connected to raising good quality food. Jacob, tell us a little bit about what inspires you. How did you get to be part of this farm? So I was born into this farm. My grandfather had the farm. My mother did some of the farming, and then we moved here in 92. So I've always, since I could reach the pedals on a tractor, I've driven a tractor. And uh, I moved away for a little while, but I'd always come home and help in the summertime. And my inspiration as a farmer is I just like to know what I eat. You know, we don't, our beef is grass-fed all natural. We don't use any hormones to raise them quicker. We don't, you know, use any GMOs. So we just like to know what we eat, where our food comes from. All of our customers that we sell meat to are always welcomed at our farm. They can come and pick out what animal they want if they want to. If they don't want to see their animal before it's slaughtered, you know, we respect that as well. But, you know, they can come open any cabin, open any door. There's no hidden places on this farm. We're very transparent when it comes to our food. Well, that's really good to know. Who are your customers? Most of our customers come word of mouth. We do have a Facebook page. Um, You know, my mom being the chiropractor in Calicoon, she has a sign up. My father having Rutledge Repair, farm machinery dealership. We have a sign up there for beef and pork available, and a lot of it's word of mouth. Uh, we get, you know, quite a few people from Calicoon that happen to be up on the weekends, take some meat back to the city for themselves. Others are just word of mouth customers that are here full time and want to fill their freezer with, you know, great tasting food. We are certainly steeped in challenges these days, and farmers are at the top of the list for experiencing. Um, Shannon, what do you feel your your challenges are right now? I think we're all always cognizant of the cost of fuel. I mean, that's probably the first one on anybody's agenda would be the cost of fuel right now and that we have to take fuel to take care of the animals directly with moving their manure and moving them around. 
Um, we also need fuel to make hay and all of those kinds of things. I mean, the weather is always a challenge. Do you have the right number of days to make quality hay before the quality starts to decrease? We also have three small kids. We have an almost six-year-old and four-and-a-half-year-old twins. So, you know, time is um, also a challenge. Mm-hmm. It's probably my, my biggest challenge is just managing all of it. And Jacob, in terms of animal husbandry, what do you feel your challenges are? When we have winter calving that isn't always planned, being able to have a calf indoors now or in under weather, not in an ice storm where they wouldn't survive out in the hay field or in the pasture has made it easier. But mostly just the harsh winter weather, you know, still having an outside element is still always a concern. Do you see future farmers of America in your children? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All three of them to some degree. I mean, they all are middle child. The oldest twin, he would run the skid steer if you let him tomorrow. Mario, our oldest, he's they're, they're all they all have different things. Addison's the lover of animals, you know, so they all have different pieces. And they all take different things away from the farm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're standing in front of uh, a barn here. It, Tell me what we're looking at. What animals are in here? Uh, so this this first pen um, is our maternity pen. So these are all cows that have had calves in the last couple months. So we just kind of give them two big areas that they can nurse their calves and have a good, healthy raising of them. The next area over is a female area. So it's uh, young cows, heifers that are not that have not had a calf yet. And then our end one is where our steers and our bull is. So right now we're able to keep our bull separate from any cows that we want to breed. That way we can schedule when they're going to have calves. We're not looking to get them pregnant right on a certain date, but we're trying not to have them have calves in December, January, February, when it's 10 degrees out. And, you know, that calf uses up all of its energy to stay warm and can't survive. Mm -hmm. These are all beef cows. The girls are are here for breeding purposes. The boys are here for meat. We rotate bulls around, and then the steers will get raised up for consumption. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're eating hay. Is that the only thing that they eat? So these guys get 100% grass-fed, so they'll get the hay that's made in the hay fields in the summertime. They get fed throughout the year, whether out on pasture or uh, hay that we produce, whether it's first cutting or second cutting baleage along with dry hay. Mm-hmm. We're really in an idyllic setting here. I've walked this road, which is originally why I spotted your farm a couple of years ago, and admiring these this hillside. Do your animals actually graze these hills? Yep, so all the way from that, just below the house, this is all pastured area uh, that they'll go out, and we'll cut the two fields off, make some hay on that, and then we'll kick them out into that about another month or so for grazing purposes. And what are you growing in that field? Then? That, that's just uh, Timothy orchard grass and some uh, clover. Do you ever have to worry about animals roaming? When we don't mend the fences and take care of the property, the grass is always greener on the other side, it seems like, with cows. But with a good, strong electric fence, they, they mind their manners and stay in. Now I turn my back here and I see the word Massey Ferguson. Tell me about what tractors you use on this property. We're pretty open to tractors as long as they start running work. We don't get too particular. John Deere's don't seem to do too well on this farm, but you know we've had John Deere's here before. They just, for some reason, green doesn't run through this farm. 
That's okay. Massey Ferguson's a is a hardworking tractor. <laughs> Do you drive the tractor, Shannon? Oh yeah, I'll break hay. I'll tend hay. I'm learning to do some of the other things. I'll run the skid steer, and um, I wrap most of the hay. The wrapper is my biggest implement that I run, and otherwise, I usually run the skid steer. Did either of you were you ever in 4-H program? I was involved in 4-H. Uh, Linda Cage was the 4-H leader that I dealt with in Calicoon for 4-H mood juicers. And you? I was not in 4-H growing up. No. Okay. My where I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in the Berkshires, and it's more industrialized versus some of the other counties around us that have the agricultural piece. Do you feel like your experience with 4-H influenced what you're doing now? I was involved with the farm before 4-H, but I definitely think 4-H helped me along and showed me, you know, between showing cows back then, and it just gave me a good, well-rounded experience. You have a family farm here. Do you ever open it up to other families for tours and have activities for children? I would say not yet. I think now that we've gotten here full-time last year, we have probably just a few little housekeeping things that we would want to do to make it a little more child-friendly. I mean, our kids are farm kids, and they understand most of the time what they're supposed to do and not supposed to do, and they know what they're not supposed to do something. But, you know, we just would have a few things that we'd want to shore up before we would really open our arms to anybody. But, you know, we would definitely be open to it. Um, you mentioned that you came last year in 2021. Who tended the farm before that? Previous to that, we would come down in the summertime, uh, weekends, a couple of days off here and there. We'd help my mom and dad take care of the farm. The bulk of the farm responsibility is the summertime to produce the hay. In the wintertime, there's not as many chores to do, but the barn still needs to be clean. Cows still need to be fed every day. So mom and dad would take care of the day-to-day operations. Do you actually process the meat here, process the animals, or do they get taken someplace for that to happen? So we take them to a Pennsylvania-inspected butcher locally. They take they go over live in the trailer, which can be an enjoyable or not enjoyable endeavor. But due to the current regulations, we cannot process food to sell to anybody on our own farm. Mm-hmm. What kind of vehicle does it take to move cattle around? Uh, we, have, we have a stock trailer around the other side of the barn and then just our pickup truck. What else would you like to talk about now as farmers in 2022 in specifically with the type of farm that you have here? I know our pigs are kind of a, a unique operation. We do piglet, we just get piglets every spring. We haven't gotten into the farrowing yet. That's We've considered that and we would consider in the future once things maybe in our world settle down in their own kind of way. So right now we just get piglets every spring. We feed them out all summer. So we get, you know, feed mill feed and then we were partner with um, Good Fine Farm and Willow Wisp Farm for some vegetables. So we supplement our pigs on vegetables and they also get some milk too. So that's kind of a, you know, you're not looking at it. So it's not always in the front of your mind, but that's a fun operation. The kids like to go in and see the pigs. So they're pretty loud. <laughs> yes. And they're also very large, but you mentioned a word that I'm not familiar with furrowing. Farrowing is when you um, breed pigs and pigs um, farrow, like cows would freshen pigs farrow. These days, I know there's really good bacon It's in Calicoon, if you go to a restaurant or if you're at a specialty shop. It's such a treat to eat bacon that you know is like from down the road. It, it's not the, ba- the bacon that's shrink-wrapped from childhood. <laughs> Can you talk about how 
the difference? Um, so our pigs are a little bit unique. Not everybody has the same operation, but like my wife Shannon said, we're partnered with Good Fine Farms just down the road and Greg from Willow Wisp Farms. So we get whatever food doesn't make it to the next farmer's market. Instead of it going in for just a compost, we get their leftovers. We run it through a chipper grinder shredder blow it into a big tub, mix it in with water, comes out looking like coleslaw, it goes into their slop, and they eat it. So pigs are a real true example of you are what you eat. I've seen pigs that were fed tasty cakes and sugars from Fruhoff or bakery outlets, and they don't taste as good as other people's that raise really great pigs. So our pigs, I always tell people they come pre-season. They eat radishes, cucumbers, lettuce, beets, kale, uh, if it's grown usually for a farm stand, we usually see it at some point during the year. Uh, watermelons, pumpkins. So they get quite an eclectic spread on their menu of food, not just fed pig feed and out the door they go. If your pigs are eating that kind of food, I have to say that's the kind of bacon I would like to eat. So uh, thank you for doing that. That's really an earth-honoring choice to do, respectful you seem to have respect for animals and the way you raise them, your consciousness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think, you know, I was just really brought up, even as a hunter, and, you know, there are certain ways that you respected the animal even after harvest. And, you know, I think that that's just something that I grew up ingrained in me, and it's just something that we try to carry through. It's something we try to actively teach the children and how to handle nicely, whether it's a calf or a bull or a steer or a pig. It doesn't matter. You know, you have the same compassion for an animal as you as you should, so... I've talked about this with 4-H. Sometimes people have, the children with their projects, have a hard time when it comes time for processing. Do you experience that here with the animals and your children? Kind of. So our kids will be the first to tell you that they are eating beef from our animals or from our cows or from our pork from our pigs and they you know have no problem telling you that our animals go to the butcher and they can help load them up and we had one pig last year that they kind of adopted and hand fed and took care of this one pig whitey and when it came time for that pig to go to the butcher the kids loaded the pig you know they were part of the process it's not hidden it's there we're very open and honest with them about all the farm things pretty much so they were involved in the process and i think you know at an age-appropriate level we explain it to them but Sometimes they'll get sad when we don't have pigs at all. Like after we call it pig season, it's kind of over. You know, they want pigs, and we just remind them we'll get new pigs in the spring. So, but yeah, they, they're involved. Do they name the animals? Uh, the cows, for the most part, we don't get into naming the pigs too too much. But most of the cows have names. Mm-hmm. Not that that sticks. Sometimes it's usually just whoever. But sometimes our farmers here. Shannon and Jacob Borelli acknowledged how much you have to know and what your day is. So what is your 24-hour day? Our day usually starts with getting our kids up and ready for daycare or school, day camp right now for our oldest. I work full-time with my father at Rutledge Repair, fixing farm equipment, putting farm equipment together. If the weather is good, you know, I'll sneak away for a little while in the morning, mow some hay, sneak away again, do some tedding, get it drying. And then the afternoons, usually someone's raking or bailing. Someone's got to go pick our kids up, whether it's my mom sometimes, myself or my wife. So there's always something going on on the farm. There's, there's never a dull moment. You got to play weatherman on the farm. You got to play, you know, which fields are too wet to get onto because we just had three inches of rain up on the hillside that has good drainage on it. Otherwise, we'd be cleaning the barn. There's, there's always something to be done. Mm-hmm. 
And Shannon, what is your 24-hour day like? (laughs) So oftentimes, so I work from home full-time on our lovely internet. Um, So that's an an interesting challenge of my own. But uh, I get up, get the kids out. I go to work. My work day is generally nine hours. So I got to somehow sneak my nine hours in. You know, then the kids come home and we try to do dinner and farming and whatever little chores and things and however we can keep them out of trouble. And then get them ready for bed. And then oftentimes our our house stuff, you know, waits until the wee hours, either the wee hours of the morning or after the kids go to bed. It kind of depends on the day, but we got to sneak that stuff in when we can. And what is your professional life on the internet? What are you doing for work? <laughs> I work for a private company. I'm a quality assurance auditor. So I do a lot of process auditing. And so I look at things very differently than a lot of other people do because I'm constantly auditing whether, you know, what we're doing and how we can work smarter and not harder and that kind of stuff. Well, you represent new way of farming. Here we are in the 21st century and you're young farmers. I don't know how old you are. It doesn't matter, but we really appreciate the effort and the consciousness that you're putting into agriculture. I feel very honored and blessed to be living in a community where I'm learning to know the farmers and get to buy the food. Really makes a quality of life to live in a community where you know your farmers and they're respectful of the environment and the animals. It's beyond a gift. You make the community, you enrich, it's you that makes the community beautiful. Now, before we close, I'd like to give you an opportunity to add anything else you'd like to say. It's been a learning experience for me over the last, you know, eight years or so that we've been together. So I've, I also have learned a lot. I mean, I, came from my own background, but it wasn't farming. So I learn every single day. And soon enough, my kids will tell me I'm not doing it right because they know how to do it better than I do. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, I grew up on the farm at eight years old and my kids are growing up with it from birth. So there's there's definitely a exciting factor to see them grow and transform and take care of the cows and want to feed the pigs and do all that. So, you know, I encourage anybody that, you know, even, even if you're not a farmer, but you want to come play farmer, you know, find a local farm ask questions, interact with them. And, you know, most farmers are more than happy to show you around and tell you what it's all about. Is this the farm at eight years old that you grew up on? What landscape changes or environmental changes have you seen? So the barn that we're standing in right now used to be a hay field. We're in the midst of an NRCS project because we live so close to the Delaware River. We're doing some stream crossings and kind of mitigating our impact to the water supply that we have. So this barn was put up to house the cows in the wintertime instead of feeding cows outside and having their manure run off into the stream so we create a better water environment for ourselves. This was a hay field, but by being able to collect the manure now and house it here in the barn, we're able to spread it. So we've seen our hay fields on a positive impact get more nutrients that used to just only go into our pasture. So the little bit of land that we lost of a footprint we've gained back in hay quality in our other fields. That sounds like sustainable agriculture. Now, you mentioned four letters, NRCS. It's the National Resource Conservation. I forget what the S is. But they are under the USDA. So they are looking for, you know, like like you said, we're close to the Delaware River. So we want to watch out for eutrophication, which is putting too much minerals and more like the phosphorus, uh, nitrogen, things like fertilizer type stuff into the watershed because that will change our water environment. So this helps us mitigate our impact. Well, once again, another bow of gratitude for you to respect the earth with your agriculture practices. Jacob and Shannon Borelli. 
Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Thank Thank you. This interview is part of the audio that you'll hear for the special project, Why I Farm. Why I Farm is an audiovisual creative collaboration produced by digital artist Pat Carullo, photographer Woody Goldberg, and myself, Rosie Starr, radio producer. Currently on display at the Digital Gallery inside the Union, Narrowsburg, New York. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteer Keith Hubbard. Special thanks goes to our guests, Shannon and Jacob Borelli from Springbrook Farm in Damascus, Pennsylvania. They shared their story on family life, current challenges, and what inspires them to farm with respect to animals and the environment. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org Bookworms, take heart. Your next great read is here on WJFF Radio Catskill. If you're looking for fresh recommendations, tune in to Shelf Life on Sundays at noon, the show in which I talk with guests about their life and two of their favorite books. On this Sunday's show, the author A.M. Holmes on a largely forgotten American master and a short one-act play by legendary playwright Edward Albee. Our music sale is the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and we are 